1: My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Jeff Knapp and Kitri McGuire. It's uh, May 18th, 2018, we're at the Nicholson Library in the conference room. And we'll start by asking you a nice, easy question, which is, why McMinnville? How did you guys end up in McMinnville?
2: As I am wearing the mic, I will begin. Um, I actually went to school at Linfield College, so I started in 2000 and graduated after fall semester of 2003. So I graduated a semester early It was social class of 2004. And during my time in McMinnville, I had a variety of jobs in the community, one of which was as a server at Golden Valley Brewery, where I ended up meeting, unbeknownst to me at the time, a lot of local winemakers that would come in because it was one of the few restaurants in town at the time. That was how I started in McMinnville.
0: I have a much more convoluted story. Um, I'm from Kansas originally and had uh, made my way through college uh, in food and beverage. So I could um, make a lot of money waiting tables and uh, not have to work a lot uh, to, to to go to school. And through that process, fell in love with food and beverage. As I <coughs> got out of college and wanted to know what I was doing with my life, I got really into the idea of wine. And my then not-wife, now current wife, and I made a list of uh, things that we would love to have from a community. Um, being from Kansas, are we're kind of limited, as you can imagine. Uh, this was uh, pre, pre-internet. Not a lot of sort of (laughs) pre-internet, dawn of the internet times. And we visited Oregon, and on this trip, uh, we stumbled upon, we spent two weeks over the winter. I wanted to learn about wine, Um, so we drove out this way, uh, stopped in McMinnville, and fell in love with this weird little quirky town that seems stuck in time. And we're like, wow, this would be an amazing place, but how would we afford to live here? What would we do, and fast forward.
1: We figured it out,
0: <laughs> and
1: fell in love, and we're here. And so both of you have a background in wine before your current role. So talk a little bit about how you got, you mentioned coming here specifically for wine, so kind of mention how you, how you got into the wine industry and how you sort of met people and worked your way through it.
0: Um, well, I, um, I knew that I didn't want to work in food anymore because it was weekends and nights and crazy. As, as fun as it was, it was just not the lifestyle I wanted as an adult, so I uh, started focusing on wine, started studying wine, um, moved to here, couldn't figure out how to get in the industry, so I, I took a job first in, a, in the restaurant industry in Portland. Um, moved to Portland first, uh, managed a restaurant called Blue Hour, which at the time was um, before the big, huge food boom that Portland is now. It was a very hot, hot pot of creative people. Um, that have since gone to do, do all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, worked there for a few years, four years, uh, networked and then started studying wine um, through the sommelier training um, through the ISG and took a job at Sokol Blosser when my former partner and I who were managing Blue Hour, uh, Michael Brown, um, he moved and took a job working for Susan, Sokol Blosser. Uh, she was getting ready to retire and hand over her business to her second generation to Alex Nelson, and uh, he called and said, hey, will you come do this? And I took a big pay cut and said, yes, (laughs) and went and moved moved here. Started working for Zova Blosser and worked there for nearly eight years, starting in 2007 or 8, where I met this lovely lady. I'm a lovely lady.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My first interaction with the wine industry was when I was working as a server at the brewery, actually. Winemakers would come in, and um, I remember one incident when I was about 19 or 20. I was serving a table of very dapper-looking people, and uh, a gentleman at the table who had a little white beard ordered a bottle of wine, and I'd never opened a bottle of wine before. But I thought, how hard could it be? Mm -hmm. And so, I was struggling mightily with this bottle at the table, getting so flustered, I was so embarrassed, and the gentleman with the white beard said, would you like me to take care of that for you? And I said, yes, please. (laughs) And so he did, he opened it very deftly and poured for the table and still left me a really nice tip. And uh, I remembered that for a long time and I told that story to somebody later and they said, oh, that was David Adelsheim. And I said, oh, who's that guy? <laughs> um, and so there would just be run-ins like that all the time at the, at the brewery. Um, so after college, I moved up to Portland and did a few things for a few years and didn't like what I was doing. Uh, I was working in dental financing, which was as exciting oh, as it sounds. It was a thrill a minute. And after a year and a half of that, yeah, right? (laughs) It's sad that it's even a job. (laughs) It is. Hey, if you need to finance dental work, there's people who can support you in that. Sorry for (laughs) that. And I didn't like it. And so I contacted one of my mentor professors from Linfield, uh, Professor Peter Richardson, and I said, I don't like my job, I would love to use my English degree, I'd love to be in the outdoors, I don't know where to go with my life, can you help me? And he said, oh well, I have a son-in-law in in the industry, his name is Alex Sokolblosser, and you should probably talk to him. And so I did, I went on an informational interview with Alex Sokolblosser, and I remember very clearly how embarrassed I was at that meeting. We walked around the vineyard, but I had just come back from a four-day camping trip at Crater Lake and was so severely sunburnt that my entire face was peeling. And I remember being (laughs) so embarrassed talking to Alex Sokolblosser and my face was peeling off. (laughs) (laughs) Leper interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just sloughing my outer self. Anyways, uh, Alex could not have been nicer, he was so pleasant, and uh, talked me through what the industry was, and at the time, it was maybe 2005, and uh, shortly after that, he said, would you like to come and work in the tasting room one day a week on on Saturdays, and I said yes. Um, Around that same time, I uh, took a full-time position as a marketing assistant with Bishop Creek Mm Cellars, that owned and operated um, a tasting room in downtown Portland right near where I was living called Urban Wine Works. And you could go in there and taste wine and blend your own wine. And um, I didn't know at the time that that job was basically a glorified you know, server there, but it was great. I got an introduction to the wine industry. They frequently sold bottles of all kinds of small producers. So. Um, I got to meet a lot of interesting winemakers that I didn't know would then go on to be very big, important winemakers, and it was um, a really fun job. Uh, about six months into that, uh, the Sokol Blossers offered me a marketing position uh, full-time, and so uh, I was working as a marketing assistant for them for a long time. and. Uh, Still working in the tasting room one day a week. Finally that got to be too much. So I transitioned into full-time marketing for them and um, Worked there for almost eight years Yeah, first under Susan for a couple years and then they made the transition to Alex and Allison being co-presidents
0: So did you get interviewed by Susan or by (coughs) Alex and Allison? I was
2: interviewed by Susan and Allison separately. So Susan Had gave me an oral interview, and then because I was applying for a marketing position, Allison gave me a separate interview where I had to go into a design program, which today is completely out of date. It was it was Quark. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So that dates me a bit, Um, and I had to go in there and and create something, and it was like a a marketing test, and I must have passed.
0: (laughs) I'm surprised when I interviewed. Alex and Allison were interviewing me because I think I might have been their first hire for the team outside of Susan being involved. And remember Alex, he's a really big baseball fan. And he's like basically putting all these baseball analogies. And if anybody knows me, I I have sports I don't like. I don't even know the terminology for baseball. You know, is it a match or a game? Right? I don't know. So I was like, you yeah, know, I'm gonna do this job. It's gonna be great. Now it's like, you know, it's just like baseball. How You know, what position would you play? I was like, oh shit.
2: I'm like,
0: oh, I'm like I'm gonna fail. I really want this job. Don't ask me any sports questions. Yeah. I don't know how I eked by it and got it, but I was like, this is. The worst interview I've ever given. <laughs>
2: um,
0: Quarterbacks in baseball. Yeah, I don't
1: know. Yeah,
2: <laughs> can't
0: be the quarterback. Yeah,
2: they scored exactly. some goals. He it was great. Goals. Yeah,
1: all of
0: the home innings. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was like, okay, this guy is really team focused. I like that. I can. Um, yeah. I like being part of a team,
1: but just not a
2: baseball team.
0: I'll be on
1: your wine team. Yeah. So you guys knew each other at Sokol Bosser then, and how did you get from there to visit McMinnville? which at the time I don't believe existed in any way. So tell us uh, us how that all happened.
2: Um, So I worked there until, gosh, 2012, I wanna say. Um, Our time overlapped there for about four years. Um, I wanted to go back to Portland and do Portland things, and so I took a job at Leatherman Multitools. I liked the idea of working for a company that was a Northwest company. Um, and everything was made in Portland and I liked that and it had an international reach. So I worked there for about three and a half or four years and it was a crazy lifestyle, you know, traveling all the time and deadlines all over the place and it just, it wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted to have for myself and my young family. And about the same time that I put that out into the universe, like hmm, maybe I don't want to be doing this anymore. About a week later, I got a call from Jeff saying, "Hey, there's this organization that's getting started up in Mc- or down in McMinnville, <laughs> <Over>. <laughs> somewhere directionally. You are, somewhere How he is with here. sports, I am with directions. Okay. So yeah, we feels right. Other. You're really yeah. good with
0: sports though. You're, I you're am. like you kill me every year in our." Basketball bracket, March
2: NCAA, three years running. Oh, yeah, she's really good. we have a bottle of Bullet Rye on it every year. You this year? You sure still. do. Yeah,
1: and now we have it on the record. Yeah, yeah. we do. It's
2: on tape forever. I'll get to it. <laughs> um, anyways, so he was telling me more about this. Uh, marketing organization that uh, would be working to promote McMinnville and Oregon wine country to potential tourists. And having had a background in McMinnville, in the wine industry, in hospitality, um, I thought, gosh, that sounds pretty nice. My husband at the time was already working at Linfield and had been for several years, so the idea of relocating to McMinnville and we could both be in one place was uh, highly desirable for me at the time with an infant. So um, I said, yeah, let's do this. And I said, sweet.
0: So how did you you know about it? So, well, I had been in direct sales at Sokal Blosser. And when I started there, um, we changed a lot of things. (coughs) I think the wine industry was growing, people's expectations of what interacting with wine was, uh, having a background in hospitality and restaurants and those types of things, we showed up and realized, the model of people just coming and buying a glass of wine across or a taste of wine uh, was not going to work for us anymore um the the level that a volume of people that were coming to visit us was high so called had been uh, around for a long time uh 40 30 40 years but at that point um so it was very quickly apparent that we needed to change that which was exciting for me i had the opportunity to kind of approach wine tasting and that experience in a different way and through um, several years of doing that and growing the visitors and growing our wine club we uh, pitched this idea for building this new hospitality concept with uh, to the Sokol Blossers and uh, Michael and I had worked with a really famous northwest architect um, Brad Kloepfill and we took we, we uh, introduced them to the Sokol Blossers and pitch this idea of experiencing wine in multiple different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was our job to do that. It kept me really interested and excited and being creative every day, engaging people, telling the Oregon wine story. And so we built this facility um, over, you know, I was there, again, like about eight years. And then we, okay, we've done this. It's working, you know, what's next? Um, So it was at that point where it's sort of, what's next, what are we gonna do, um, that, some local people reached out and just said, hey, we have this idea, and we think that you'd be really good at spearheading this effort, this marketing effort for our region. So, and basically you're not just gonna be showing people a single brand, you're gonna be a voice for everybody, mm-hmm. which is kind of how I live anyway. I'm a big enthusiast for food and beverage and all my closest friends are winemakers or beer makers or artists or musicians. So it sounds like a pretty ideal job. They said, you don't, you know, the money is tax. is a tax money, tax-based funding, it's lodging. So people that come and visit us pay a lodging tax and those dollars get to fuel marketing. So you get to cre- get the message out, um, be creative and tell people about what's going on here. And I said, th- that sounds awesome. Uh, I wasn't looking for a job, but it just kind of fell into mm-hmm. place. Uh, and the first person I thought of to help execute that was Kitree. And so that's how it happened. We reached out and we had a meeting and here we are. We're doing it.
2: Yeah. We're telling the story. Two and a half years in now.
1: Good. So with the goals of the organization, were they given to you or were you able to kind of craft your own mission statement?
2: Do you want to talk about how how Visit McMinnville and the DMO was founded? Yeah, so
0: let's talk about how that happened. Yeah, so um, McMinnville was late to the game in as far as destination marketing goes. So destination marketing organizations are um, generally tax-funded organizations that fund the promotion of destinations as year-round um, overnight visitor destinations. So um, in 2013, um, a group of local stakeholders from restaurants, lodging, wine, mm-hmm. um, said, you know what? We could really use some help marketing this area for all of our businesses. So we have all of these gems um, and we all have small marketing budgets. And in the wine industry, if you know anything about wine, the first budget that always gets cut. I remember, like, you always banging your head and being frustrated, like your budget is constant. You start off the year with like, oh, we got all these plans, hopes and dreams. Like, yeah. Halfway through the year, they're like, oh, forget those dreams. Like, we're not selling enough wine. Um, so, an organization like that seemed viable. So they, these stakeholders, got together and, and petitioned the city uh, to start this organization. Um, and at the time, the city agreed to sp- implement a tax, a transient lodging tax, which is a tax on people who stay for under 30 days in hotels, restaurants, vacation rentals, B&Bs.
2: Not restaurants. Not restaurants.
0: Did I say restaurants? You
2: did. Well, if you stay <laughs>
0: longer than 30 days in a restaurant, you should be paying a You have a problem. You
2: should be paying a tax. Yeah. You
0: should be paying a tax. Uh, hotels. Sorry. You see my priority is food. Um, <laughs> and... So the city said, hey, okay, we'll do this, we'll start a grant program, and we'll issue grants to people that um, do things to support um, events or things that would attract tourism, and that quickly became apparent that that wasn't going to be the most efficient use of those dollars. There's only so many uh, nonprofit tourism-focused groups. Um, so that same group, stakeholder group said, "Okay, let's go around the state and look at other communities that are doing this really well and successfully, and let's interview them." And they reached out to several different cities uh, and organizations, and they focused in on uh, Visit Bend, mm-hmm. who has historically an a incredible track record of increased increasing awareness of their destination. Um, and showing results Mm -hmm. and we uh, they contracted with the gentleman um, who was running that to kind of give us a framework like here's a framework for this to be successful the city needs to play this role you need to have a board that's diverse tourism stakeholders that play this role and then you need to hire this type of person these type of people to execute Um, and at the end of the day your mission is to get the word out and get them here to spend as much money as possible with local businesses so it's very clear like our goal is to get you to come here and spend money and stay the night stay as long as possible so that's summing it up at least make it sound a lot prettier and you make it look a lot prettier and (laughs) um, so that's what we do we try to um, we try to it's a pretty easy sell I mean once you get people on the ground here uh, it's a super special place and um, word of mouth is equally as impactful, because I think what we have here is experience. You know, I think we have the experience that in this day and age where things are, I you know the word authentic is sort of passe, but this genuine, we have a community, and people can feel that, and we have a community of creators and beverage makers, and it's a farm, it's a living, seasonal, you know, for eight years we went to work on a living farm, you know, mm-hmm. that, something different every every day of the year. So it keeps, in group- I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's a great job to have.
2: <laughs> I'd like to build off what you were it's saying. Built. The yes and. Yes yeah. and. Yes and. Um, there's a trend in tourism marketing right now. And you know, 20 years ago, tourism was you were a tourist. You go to a place and you see the sites and you For get sure. out. Yeah, you get your commemorative mug and you get out. Um, And then people wanted to go places and have experiences. So go into a place, you know, and not just eat at the restaurant, but maybe take a cooking class when they're there. Um, And now there's a shift in tourism trends towards what they call transformational tourism. And that's the idea that when you go to a place, you expect something about yourself to be transformed. So you expect to go in and have a series of experiences that change you inherently as a person for, hopefully for the better. <laughs> and I think that that's something that McMinnville offers without even trying. People come to our downtown community where there's no gap on our main street, there's no Starbucks, it's locally owned businesses that are owned by our friends and neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can feel that sense of community. They Um, long for that in their own lives and they go back home saying I've been bettered because I came to this place and that's really exciting thing for us to kind of tap into what that means and use it to get more people on the ground here to support those businesses that are owned by our friends and neighbors it's really rewarding job to have
0: amen sister yes plus I mean we, we have this great board that directs us. You know, we have yes. Emily Howard with Thistle and it was founded with Carmen Pirano from Nix and uh, Aaron Stevenson leading the charge from Atticus and Third Street Flats and Maria Stewart. With Ellen Helen Ellen Britton with Britton Vineyards. That's a good board. Uh, Cass- yeah, it's just Tyrone's comforting I mean, we have a lot of we have a lot of good forward-thinking, entrepreneurial rooted people here keeping us
1: in check making sure that we have the North Star point, sure. Yeah. So you mentioned that it was pretty easy, you say, to get, to get people here. What are some of the challenges that you faced either starting, getting started or that you face now, getting people to McMinnville, or just challenges in general?
0: Challenges. Um, well, we could always use more people. Um, I think we have challenges that are good, some good and some bad. Right now, we have a lot of people that come here for about five to six months of the year and we're at capacity for hotel rooms. So there's a challenge that we could use more, more rooms um, to welcome more people. Uh, but we also historically see a really quick downturn um, for the low and shoulder season, which run um, sort of November, December to April. Um, so then it peaks down January um, and starts to climb back up. So our job is to really focus on getting people here, making wine uh, wet winters sexy um, and convincing folks that there's, you know, a lot to, not convincing, but showing them that there's, there's still things to do. Um, one of our greatest strengths, you know, our, clearly our greatest strengths is we have, you know, over 250 wineries within 20 miles of here, um, which is great. Um, but on the other side, what else, you know, so what is the, you know, what are the recreation opportunities and, you know, shopping and art and culture. So for us, we look to kind of help diversify and um, empower the growth in those areas. Um, so that we're not just a single, you know, as we all love wine and food and that is amazing. And I think it will always be the dominant thing here, but you know, we could, those people that move here for wine and food also want to, you know, hop on a bike or, Maybe jet over to Pacific City and surf in the morning, or you know trails. You know what, what? are these? What's the future hold for this area? And I think that's an exciting challenge or opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we still we're just scratching the surface. I mean, I think that we'll we'll see a, a very large growth in our tourism over the next decade. Um, so there's a challenge in keeping what makes Smithfield <coughs> special as it is, so there's this whole conversation of um, how do we as a community kind of curate that change and that growth, which is a separate mission from, you know, our mission is let's get as many people here to spend as much money as possible, um, but how do we also grow responsibly? Um, and I think that's something that I wear as a citizen very, we talk about it all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. So, And it helps to have a really supportive board that also has that in mind. Everybody on our board uh, lives here in town, and so, but they also own businesses. So they also wear those dual hats of wanting people in their businesses to spend money, but also wanna keep this place livable and family-friendly and all of the things that we love about it and what makes it special for people to come visit in the first place.
0: I think we'll see a lot of, um, I think change will happen exponentially faster um, for a few reasons. A lot of the organizations, the wine industry um, is at a maturity level where there's funding now for things like marketing. Collaboratively the Wine Valley Winers Association has uh, implemented their barrel auction, has been very successful. So they're not just uh, educating and making aware, but they're marketing as well. And their priority is number one to get people here and sell wine to them directly, direct to consumer sales. Mm We have. Tourism has a lot of money right now, relative to the past, I should say, um, and so there's there's this uh, that awareness will be larger than ever because there's dollars being spent saying, "Come here! These are the assets that we have." Um, and before that, it's been really kind of organic, or or each individual winery's following is founded, or people stumble upon it on the way to the coast, or um, you know, the wine industry now is what, fifty some years old, so as far as the North Willamette Valley goes, and uh, not only is it mature and has international recognition, but they actually now have money to tell people about it Mm -hmm. uh, collectively and not just one-off. So I think the next next five to ten years should be a a lot of change.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting on a macro level, too, because Oregon (coughs) as a destination has grown a ton. I just saw numbers the other day that year-over-year uh, year in Q4 at PDX, they saw a 26% higher international traveler rate, so people are coming to Oregon from all over the world, and that's really exciting. Travel Oregon has more money now than they ever have. It's, what, $75 million every two years to spend in the biennium uh, to just say Oregon as many times in as many ways as they can, and we're going to benefit from that. Something that I feel wine country, Willamette Valley wine country has been missing is a kind of a base camp. You know, where do people, uh, where do they rally after their day in wine country? And there's been a few B&Bs here, a few, you know, things happening here and there in Newburgh and Dundee and that's great, but I think travelers want a place where they can walk around, where they can go and get dinner and then catch a show or live music and McMinnville is really one of the only places that offers that, and so we have a huge opportunity that we are trying to um, carefully and thoughtfully and proactively grow uh, to tell people, hey, explore the Willamette Valley, explore all of wine country, just come back to McMinnville and you know, use that as your base camp, as your jumping off point to explore the entire valley. And that, I think that messaging is going to be really critical in the coming years.
1: So, you talk about kind of McMinnville being at kind of that strange spot right now where you, you talk about being stuck in the past when you were coming out here to visit it, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And now you have uh, the wine boom. And, but you also have this like charming small town that is, like you say, kind of doesn't have a lot of box stores, doesn't have a lot of, um, of Starbucks and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what, where do you feel your responsibility is there between growing the e- economic strength and tourism and also keeping the small town charm? How do you, it's a tough balance, you've mentioned it, but how do you do it? Well, we currently, so McMinnville's, I don't know if it's unique, but I'll just say we're unique.
0: <laughs> uh, we have. Four different economic development organizations that focus on different aspects of economic development and growth um, and that work in partnership with the city. So, yes, we're out, our job is to go out and say, look at this beautiful shiny thing, come check it out and be a part of it. Um, and then you have a group, the Downtown Association, that is focused on a vibrant, viable, historically preserved downtown which is a huge asset. We have a group called the MEDP, or the Mineral Economic Development Partnership. They look for new businesses mm-hmm. uh, and then and attract them and promote the ones that we have. And the Chamber, of course, which does Chamber things. Um, and th- we meet regularly um, and sh- talk and discuss these things. So as we're courting businesses, we're, we're helping find appropriate homes for them and we're talking about opportunities and we're talking about our streetscape, and we're working together in conjunction with the cities uh, for planning these things out. We're currently going through a 20-year economic development strategic planning with the city of McMinville, and we're also going through a, just an overall strategic planning. So, and those concerns that you're, you know, that those concerns of growth are being addressed. So, how do we responsibly grow? What are the types of businesses that we need to attract? Where do those belong? Um, where do people live? How do, do they interact? Do we need more people living downtown? I would say yes. So we need more, more bike paths. Do we, you know, do how do we make sure that the trees are downtown, which make it this really wonderful, like living forest, don't all die at the same time. And <laughs> we replace them. And, um, you know, when we install signage, you know, we don't want it to look like Vegas, you know, so I don't know. Basically, how you do it is you become actively engaged on a civic level. And we talk about it all the time with our friends and family. And I'm in a lot of meetings about it. So,
2: (laughs) But that's one of the cool, unique things, I think, about McMinnville is that um, there's this sense of collaboration that everyone wants to grow responsibly. And so we just have to talk and say okay well you feel that responsibility is in this direction i feel that responsibility is in this direction let's talk about how we can work together to make that happen not recreate the wheel every five years not each be doing our own things in our own silos but really work together and i feel like that has a really interesting mirror a parallel to the way that the wine industry was founded Mm -hmm. um and i think that's one of the things that make this area is so unique and it's something palpable that I think people can feel when they come and visit I
0: think that tourism with that um, with what you're saying as far as that kind of working together and that collaboration I think there's a unique opportunity right now when I'm saying that all these tourism organizations have funding and these other organizations to actually marry the the idea of tourism and the wine industry which kind of uh, clearly they're they benefit from each other, but I don't think that they've been closely linked in the past. And I think that we'll see, a, 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 we already have seen that coming closer, and I think over the next couple of years we'll see that strengthen to everyone's benefit. Um, and it's great to have perspective of that industry and then come to this side to the resources and be like, oh, you guys need to definitely know that, you know, here's some grants, or you know what, if you just talk to these guys, we can we can all benefit. So.
1: You mentioned uh, that sort of Visit Bend was used as kind of a template when you guys were being set up. Is is Bend an example of a city that you'd like to see McMinnville look like, or is it, are there parts of it that you're excited about, or, are you, are you, or is there another city you have in mind? As kind
2: of a- I think my opinion is that their framework worked really well for us, but it is not our intention to be Bend. Um, They have a different set of resources and assets and a different vibe about their community, and um, we just used their framework to base our organizational structure off of, and now we can take it in a way that feels right for our community. Mm -hmm. Bend um, has had some interesting challenges because they were growing, 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 and have reached this point where now the community is almost revolting because there's too many people in town, too many tourists, the city, says, you, tourism, have too much money, um, and we're gonna take it. And so the city of Bend is now being sued by the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. And so um, not only did Visit Bend provide a valuable framework for structuring our organization, they then subsequently provided an example of what not to do, (laughs) and we can learn from that. Mm -hmm. We can learn from being aware of what our friends and neighbors have done, both good and perhaps poorly. Mm
0: Yeah, I think that what Ben has done really well is set up clear definitions and boundaries. You know, this is your job. Our job is to market. Um, we don't throw events. We're not a grant organization. We have one laser light focus. Um, and through that, I think, yeah, I want to be like Ben. Um, their model wouldn't work here outside of how they operate. But I think with the community as well, we have much more. I, I feel that we're much more sort of engaged in the community yeah. while achieving our goal um, and this is just a really different thing so as far as communities that we want to model ourselves off of um, I, I don't I don't know I mean there's bits and pieces of different places um, but I don't it's hard to take anything and put it here and make make it work and push play I mean we have a lot of similarities to what's as far as size and demographic to walla- walla um, but we're really different you know it's easier to get to us and it's a different climate and different history um i think in, in with the preserved downtown i think there's a lot of similarities to Healdsburg in california but i don't want to be heelsburg um at all so i think that it's fun for us to get i mean we're i say fun it's a big responsibility <laughs> to get to help try to direct that but at the end of the day it's a free market, right? And if someone buys a building downtown and turns it into Chuck E. Cheese, which we'd hope doesn't happen, I mean, it's America, You right? <laughs> can do that. Right. Um, so, I don't know, I, I hope that McMinnville stays, I know it will have its unique character and quality because the people that live and work here care about it so much. It's really intense. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it's really, I mean I love
0: them they're not really close to me now but the, the first year of having my job it was like I was driving. I always say it's like I was I was carrying around a fragile porcelain mouse uh, and so afraid to break it or like I got the keys to like a really nice Ferrari like you know fairspeers day off and I'm like Cameron's dad's car and I'm like, I'm gonna Dura, do, don't wreck the car because people here care mm-hmm. deeply. Mm-hmm as do I, but they want to make sure you do care. Mm -hmm. Um, And I appreciate that. So show up, care.
2: Show up and care. That's like, should be everyone's Mm -hmm. motto for life. Mm
1: -hmm. So what are some of the more popular places uh, that you're either that people have responded to you and say, I really love doing this when I was in McMinnville or things that you you sell uh, when you're trying to get people here? What are the most popular spots?
2: Uh, well, low-hanging fruit, pun intended, is <laughs> wine tasting. Woo! Mm-hmm. So uh, that is obviously a very big sell. Um, we have the highest concentration of walkable tasting rooms anywhere uh, in the valley, so that's pretty exciting. Walkability is something that we um, promote about McMinnville all the time. Uh, the high density of fine dining is a really important complement to the wine industry, which is great. But one of our top tourist destinations is Evergreen. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we work really hard to promote that as a destination and to kind of um, be very cognizant of the issues that they've been having out there, financial and, and legal issues, to try and encourage people like, hey, no, this is a wonderful asset that our community has. You really should go and see it despite Legal Mm -hmm. battles—it's worth seeing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's wonderful, and our community is lucky to have them. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that we're really working on promoting right now is outdoor recreation. So we are less than an hour from the coast. We're trying to promote uh, the outdoor rec opportunities that exist in the BLM-owned lands in the Nestucca River corridor between here and Pacific City. Uh, There's a lot of mountain biking trails and campsites and OHV trails and horseback riding available up there, not to mention all of the outdoor rec opportunities that exist in the coast. So people can go over and do that for a few hours in the morning, hit a few wineries on their way back, come here, you know, hit a few art galleries. Um, So those are breweries, distillery. So. those are all things that we're actively working on, trying to promote for the area to hit a pretty wide swath of people.
0: Yeah, there's so much. I don't know. There's a lot to 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 promote. So I wouldn't. I think you covered a good deal of it. Yes. I think that we also have art that's hidden. You know, I mm-hmm. think we're going to be um, getting people together both with, uh, to promote uh, getting people together, getting materials together to promote. the vast amount of public art that we have and local galleries, densely. We have eight or nine galleries for a small town of, you know, 35,000 people. That's pretty significant, so...
2: And high-end galleries, too. Uh, The Lawrence Gallery is Mm -hmm. just stunning. They get Dolly and Picasso, and they get all kinds of works out there. Yeah.
1: Family stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. If you had to recommend something that would maybe a little bit less known, if you were if someone were from outside McMinnville, and never been here, and you and they were to say, what would I like to do that's a little bit off the beaten path? What what would you recommend? What approach? time of year are we in?
0: <laughs> I mean, I think there's some good. We have a, a really vast amount of foraging in the area. You know, at certain times of the year, if you want to go up and get the chanterelle boom or you know, truffle hunt, it's it's here. You know, and that's really exciting enough literally off the beaten path
2: what
0: (laughs) um you know and i think that Nestucca river corridor is a real hidden gem i mean i I recommend people take that over to pacific city and and play up there i think it's great Mm -hmm. in Minville proper um i think our little tea shop is really like hidden it's underground and we have wicked that uh
2: so much tea yeah and he blends it himself custom blend it's it's so cute
0: what is the monkey? Uh, is Velvet, it, Velvet monkey.
2: monkey. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think that's a hidden little gym that not a lot of people know about because it's underground, literally. <laughs> um, and the density of breweries, I don't think people understand that. I mean, I would say that... Density of high
2: quality. high quality. yeah,
0: breweries, like award-winning breweries. Um, I think people are still surprised at that. Mm-hmm. Um, experience-wise, I don't know.
2: I'm really excited to see where the development goes for the Granary District and Alpine, we're working right now with the city and uh, private business owners to develop a more clear uh, walking path between Third Street and the Granary Alpine areas. Um, And I think in five years when I have the guts to watch this video again, I'm gonna look back and say, oh yeah, I remember when that was still a big mystery. But that area, I mean it's poised for growth, it's poised for build out, there's a lot of really interesting ideas that people have for unique businesses. Um, And that connectivity to Third Street, I think is gonna be really, really interesting. So I'm excited to see where that goes. And that will be, I think, something that, unexpected that people will be able to discover.
0: I think right now, the most, for me, the most obvious game changer is the Atticus Hotel. So the, I think that's gonna be a, it's a landmark in time. Um, I think it'll be a big game-changer for our community. The level and quality of that hotel, the custom nature that represents, the custom nature by which it was built, you Mm -hmm. know, and represents local on such a hyper-focused level. Um, And then the people that it'll attract, the demographics, and um, I think think we're going to see a big wave from that. Um, And like you said, if we look back in five years at this, I think I mean, I think even in the future, we'll look back and that'll be a hallmark for not just our area, but for the industry, because it really is here because of the wine industry mm-hmm. um, and the people that the wine industry draws. Um, you know, in the 90s or late 80s, was Hotel Oregon, you know, mm-hmm. downtown was dead. That showed up. I mean, people, and before that, you know, I don't know. There's these, these you know, Harvest Fresh moving in was a... Nick, Nick, yeah. in the 70s. Um, the Atticus will be uh, a place in time where we can look back and be like, okay, that was a, that, that speaks to a, a, a big shift. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very
1: excited about that asset. What's been the reception to visit McMinnville uh, from business owners, from people around town, from friends and family? Overall,
0: positive. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, surprisingly, I was ready for people to be. I mean, I think there's,
0: there's definitely some skepticism are like, yeah. at first,
2: but we've had two and a half years now. I think to earn people's trust so that we're not just here to, uh, you know, run people down with tourists that are just you know, standing there snapping pictures or whatever, um, but that we really care about the community and want to promote our friends and neighbors' businesses and get people to thoughtfully come and spend money here. Um, I think we've had two and a half years to earn people's trust, and overall, people are uh, really positive about what we bring. And, you know, there's a lot of pride in McMinnville from the people who live here. And to see, you know, a billboard that we've created or something, or see an ad that we've created show up in Sunset Magazine promoting our little town and showing how amazing it is, or to get a write up in Vogue. We had a, a write up in Vogue this year um, talking about how this was the perfect girls weekend getaway. Yeah, and it out trended a lot of really popular like world things that were happening at the time. And so I think there's a lot of pride that people in our community have. And all we're doing is taking what's awesome about this town and just telling people about it. And uh, we're not trying to, you know, pull the wool over people's eyes. We're saying this is an amazing place and you should come here and here's all the reasons why. So I think people have seen those things. Uh, It has stoked their pride in our community and uh, they feel supportive of what we do. Mm -hmm.
0: I think the only hiccups that we have seen are when people see the budget numbers that we have and they're like, why are you spending this much money when we have so many needs in these other places? And for us, we completely understand those things, but Oregon law reserves, you know, these dollars, these tax dollars, by law have to be spent for this purpose. So for us, it's an easy. We understand that you know we could use better roads in some areas, or you know we have, a, and there's all of these different issues that, that the community is facing. Um, however, you know it's proven that the economic impact of visitor spending is significant on communities and creates jobs. So that Oregon has reserved those by law; those dollars to be spent that way. So I think that's our only hurdle that we generally butt up against is just like you know we have to do this by law so
2: well not only that but educating them that there's data to support that this is a really good investment for the businesses in our community and as businesses thrive they create jobs and as the workforce thrives our community thrives with art and culture mm -hmm. and makes us a better place to live and there's data to support all of that so there's a lot of Uh, internal marketing I call it to our community which is really just education about why this is a good thing and how ultimately it's going to benefit them and their business and once they hear those numbers and see some of the work that they do they generally have a a mind shift which is great
0: and those visitors become I mean I was a visitor I'm here because of tourism I came and visited and now I tell other people to do the same so (laughs) There's an ancillary effect of loving a place, falling in love with it, moving there, and then now you've got, you know...
2: Another engaged citizen. Another engaged citizen
0: who's... I'm I'm made a McMinnvillian. I have a baby here, and she's going to be a citizen and grow up, and just the whole circle of McMinnville life Mm -hmm. (laughs) continues.
1: So let's talk more specifically about the wine industry. Have you been able to see... Uh, have you made a measure a measurable impact on wine tourism since you guys have started?
0: We don't measure. We measure interest. Um, so our measurables are are two uh, twofold. I mean, how we measure our success currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so we measure our success by um, more people coming and staying in hotels more frequently and spending more dollars to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, results in increased tax. Uh, and then more people, through our marketing efforts, that we drive to our website, which we, and then from our website to tourism stakeholders. So we can see the people that are interested in and then deciding to book or then deciding to take a further look down the rabbit hole into other wineries. Um, Yes, those numbers are all increasing. And if we we compare that data to what um, both Yanhoe County data through the Dean Runyon report, you know, visitor spending is going up, wine visits are going up, and if we look and compare that with Oregon Wine Board data, we can see that those things are all going up.
2: Yeah, I was in a presentation just last week where somebody was presenting out of date economic impact data from the Full Glass <laughs> Research that mm-hmm. says the economic impact of wineries in the state of Oregon, and they said, oh, Full Glass Research in 2016 said, that wineries had a $3.4 billion statewide impact. And I was like, that's out of date. It's now $5.6 billion, I think, In is what, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that's because of us, but I'm not not saying <laughs> that. <laughs> but I think, I mean, of huge growth. Yeah, that's
0: because of Kittreda. You know, yeah, absolutely.
2: Two billion. <laughs> um, you totally are totally underpaid. Yeah. Tell me about it. Thanks. Thanks. Talk that's to my right, boss about too. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think there's a confluence of things that are happening right now between the uh, Willamette Valley Wineries association now being better funded and having more money, uh, Travel Oregon being better funded and having more money, our existence. There's a lot of things that are happening right now that are all combining. And the direct sales numbers from that full glass data uh, that I believe was presented at the Oregon Wine Board Symposium this year um, shows that direct Spending is is up, and that comes from tourism. And so. you can see it in the
0: investment with all of the properties. I mean, look at oh yeah the, the event centers, the project. You know, Sopa are investing multiple millions of dollars multiple years ago, and mm-hmm. all of these new, crazy state of the art. Yeah.
2: If they were depending on distribution, and, they wouldn't have built those.
0: Yeah, so I think there's a trend to the market is really quite saturated with a lot of quality wine right now, and it's a priority to get people in your door and selling it. So Um, They wouldn't be building those things if there weren't demand for it, and uh, we like to feel that we are helping that demand.
1: Sure. So both of you have roughly a decade or a bit more of experience since you started working in wine to now. In addition to just pure size, what are the other changes you've noticed in the industry since, like, the early 2000s to now?
2: Uh, Increase of investment from out-of-state development
0: Dollars for marketing. There's actually people marketing, which is, you know,
2: what? what? <laughs> uh,
0: and when we started, there wasn't social media, you know, so I we remember were in social media. Yeah, or, or,
2: yeah. No, I was working at Sokol Blosser when social media like became a thing, mm-hmm. and I remember talking with the Sokol Blossers and them suggesting, you know, just casually that we get a Facebook page, and I was like, oh, Facebook, flash in the pan. <laughs> But, um, so that type of <laughs> uh, technology has increased what wineries can do and what tourism can do to help support wineries, I think.
0: I see the direct impact on the, the density of food that has, you yeah. know, the industry has brought. When I showed up and moved in New England a decade ago, um, there's a lot of other people at the same time. There's sort of this transition of, you know, I mean, there always is, I guess, but whatever my crew of people, this community that was here at the time, uh, quickly found each other and everyone had kids at the same time, and everybody. Uh, but food, you know, those restaurants and those things that support the lifestyle of the industry that's working here is, you know, growing, um, has grown a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, where we have uh, access to clothing and a you know, diverse amount of food and beverage that we can get. And um, I think th- what I feel really is the community has changed, um, has strengthened, and there's always, this seems to be. More and more people kind of getting caught in the snowball of it, um, and with that, the I've also seen an increase in European, um, well, not just European, but um, harvest crews. You know, the harvest people, folks mm-hmm. that come for just harvest. Um, a lot of kiwis. Know, there's a lot of kiwis. Yeah. Um, you know, Italian. So there's a lot of international. I feel like international presence, especially during harvest time. Mm-hmm. You're meeting these folks from all over the world. Um, and it's cool, it's like for a period of time you have this big international kind of mm-hmm. pop and then they leave. And then sometimes they come back and get jobs and... So... I don't know, it just breeds this culture in general and I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, there's a lot more money. There's a lot of people who weren't here before that have sort of boutique... I don't really like that word, it's more like... Sort of... Te- they, they They have brands that pop up with high scores out of nowhere. Like what, how did you do this? And it's just like some Hollywood production team came in and made a brand (laughs) that, and you're like, is this a person? What, where is this? So there's a lot of that that I'm trying to figure out, but. um,
2: There are a lot of trends that seem to weave in and out that not being in the wine industry, kind of being on the periphery of, of support for the wine industry, we're able to see from a little bit of a distance. It's really fun, you know, Gosh, I don't even know if I could put a time frame on it. Five, six years ago, maybe more, these collaborative workspaces for young winemakers mm-hmm. that can't afford an estate mm-hmm. um, started popping up. So mm-hmm. you have Day Wines and Carlton Winemaker Studio, and um, even here in McMinnville, um, Goodfellow, uh, they have a lot of boutique brands that come in and out of there. Um, so that started to become a thing, and now the big trend is is uh, canned wines, mm-hmm. and so it's really fun to see those trends and to be able to support them uh, from marketing and bringing people into experience, something new and different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Sparkling, really,
0: sparkling wines, 2011. Oh that yeah, boom. It was, was so cold and mm-hmm. uh, underripe, and all of us were like, we're all gonna start sparkling wine labels, and. Uh, and
2: they no, did. I did yeah, everybody did, so
0: every month got sparkling and mean, it's good and we can grow it it's high acid and uh, it's awesome. We would take, um, a colleague and I would take, took the Evolution White and put it in a Soda Stream and bubbled it up. Like, this is awesome. And they were like, why don't we start making that? And they huh. did. yeah. Um, not in a Soda Stream. Not in a Soda yeah. Stream. No. I was just thinking like, hey, what would this taste like? Um, but now there's super high-quality sparkling wine, and I think that's going to continue to grow. And I think that we have the proper clones planted, and I think in certain areas that we can get really great, uh, early ripening, uh, interesting, delicious wine. I think that's, I'm really excited about that change in the industry, mm-hmm. um, diversification. I love Pinot Noir. It will always be amazing. But what are all of the other crazy things that we can do really well? And I think sparkling um,
1: and Chardonnay are Right there. Yeah. What do you see happening to the wine industry in the next, say, 10 or 15, 20 years, either local or at a state level?
2: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Holograms. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hoverboards. Yeah. Um, you know, in the 20-year,
0: but on that kind of 20-year look, I, I'm really interested in how autonomous vehicles and autonomous machineries and robotics come into play. Mm-hmm in the wine industry. I don't know what it means, but I know it's gonna be a huge impact. Um, and I'm really geeky about, I really wanna know what that's about. If we look at the industry how it is now, I, you know, I don't see it stopping growth. I think we may be shifting with varietals as climate change happens a bit. I think our wine styles will be changing. And I think, I don't know how that will affect consumer palate and profitability, but I, I, I just see it. Uh, nothing but an upward growth for, for the wine industry here. I think we'll see big impacts on communities, the rural communities, and the growth in places like Amity and Sheridan and Milleline and Carlton and we'll see you know, all of those areas flushing out. Um, I don't know. More food? I mean, that's the both biggest excitement. I mean, the more wine comes, <laughs> it equals more really great food options. So... That's going to have me sticking around, because clearly (laughs) I (laughs) like to eat.
2: I have, um, I'm going to call it a more... uh,
0: A better idea? No,
2: I I I want to say realist view. I feel like in the next 20 years, climate change is going to affect the... uh, not just vineyard but farming in general quite significantly in the valley and that uh, some of these producers are going to be able to roll with it and some of them won't and so i feel like over the next maybe 10 years there's going to continue to be growth things are going to start to change the people who can adapt will fall out of the industry and the people who can adapt will stay in and maybe there'll be some new exciting things we can't even imagine but i think that it's my personal opinion that climate change is going to affect farming as we know it in Oregon pretty significantly over the next 20 years.
0: The one thing that we have going for us is that we have an abundance of water. Yes. And I think that as water becomes an issue, we will still remain water rich. mm mm-hmm. um, So as we, with that as an asset, I think that there's a positive, like I, I think that- we, Absolutely. We can adapt. I think that what I hope to see, what I think the industry will drive is transportation. So a growth in transportation of moving product to market um, quicker and moving people in and out of the valley quicker. quicker. So I think that'll come through, first and foremost, autonomous vehicles. Um, but I mean, other types of rail or, you know, assets of our Flying airport, cars. You know, our airport. Air trains.
2: trams. Yeah,
0: who knows? Who
2: knows? Hoverboards.
0: Hover, I, I hoverboards. <laughs> or a virtual tasting where you just like You just think about it? Uh, Yeah. mm, That one wasn't good.
2: Mm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think transportation is a big, is a hurdle that we have now, and I think that the industry will have enough of a pull Mm -hmm. to help lobby and make sure that that is addressed.
2: It's really fun to see, because like we mentioned earlier in this interview, when I started in the wine industry, social media didn't exist. And now people don't have websites they just have facebook pages mm-hmm. and that's their only form of marketing and it's just, it's it's really going to be interesting to see like what is that what is that thing that affects how we tell our story in the future we can't even imagine it now mm-hmm. which is really kind of fun but again when we watch this <laughs> 5 to 10 years Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, I
0: it was I, right. You could just taste with your <laughs> eyes. <laughs>
2: and she was right about the hoverboards. <laughs> Amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned the uh, uh, impa- uh, sorry, excuse me. You mentioned the outside money coming into the industry outside either California money, yeah. French money. Do you see an impact in your jobs as you're trying to sell sort of the authentic Oregon wine experience? If the w- or wineries? Not yet. I think that mm. those people that are investing. I look at it as a benefit.
0: It just raises—it's raising everybody up and raising raising quality awareness and raising awareness of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And the people that are doing that are, so far, have been playing really well. I mean, Jackson family's got Eugenia Keegan as this—you know—who mm-hmm. who better to be a <laughs> spokesman for what Oregon wine means or is? Mm-hmm. Um, and they show up and they're charitable and they give hours out at Miller Woods and, you know trail maintenance and they donate to causes. And so I think that for you to, I think that Oregon's this place where, and one of the reasons why I moved here is that people care about it, you know, and they protect it and that to play here, there's certain kind of cultural rules that you play with by. Um, And yeah, you could be successful not playing. There are a couple of examples I can think of that are extremely successful that don't necessarily play in a collaborative manner. But I think one of the things that makes it special is that when you move here, you want to, you know? I think at the end, like, humanity inherently is better when you're collaborative and you're in something. And I think we have that in spades. So I would hope that it carries on, but
1: show up.
2: Care. Care. <laughs> I'm glad we come up with you
1: guys' new motto. Yeah. yeah. yeah you're
2: welcome. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know. I just don't like. There's a lot of fear, right? Change brings fear, and I just hate being dominated by. Like, I want to think about living a possibility and not fear. And I think that, oh, you know, French, they're coming. They're gonna, you know, they, well, they already came. They built Domaine Druin, and you know, yeah,
2: and we're better for happened. it. It's yeah. amazing.
0: And you know, Jackson family, they own so much. You know, they own the most acreage in the state now. Great. They seem to be pretty cool. Um, so, I don't know. I want to. I, I, I'm more of a, like, let's welcome everybody in and let them act how they are, and mm-hmm. hopefully they'll be nice, because mm-hmm. it's a great, great place to
1: be, and, you know, cut that up. no. <laughs> <laughs> and We've talked a little bit about, throughout the interview, about sort of the changes you've seen, but kind of um, changes in McMinnville, what is different about McMinnville than when you first got here, and, and where do you see it, it going in the next decade or 20 years? We've got Thistle.
2: Yeah. Major That's win, thing yeah. For us. yeah. <laughs> when I first
1: moved, that was a big deal, though. Like a couple,
0: of, a year after I moved here, when I that spot, was
2: here so. in college, that was still Kame, Kame. yeah, mm-hmm. Japanese restaurant.
0: And also Kame, I it's Kame.
2: Yeah, Kame was great. We um, had Patrick
0: Bruce, but he's win. the best cocktail guy in the world.
2: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, when I lived here in 2000. Half the storefronts on Third Street were empty, like no students that I knew ever came down to Third Street to do anything besides like go to cornerstone coffee um, because there was nothing to do uh, that's so different now you know it's very rare to have an empty storefront on third street it's a vibrant place where things happen the farmers' market, which didn't also didn't exist when I came to school here in 2000. Um, and uh, the music that happens on Thursday nights right in downtown, it was just, it's, it's a vibrant place that people wanna be, wanna hang out where you see people, and it's like, cheers, you know, and everybody knows your name, and um, that was not the case when I was here just 18 years ago mm-hmm. for school, so it's been fun to see that development happen.
0: Yeah, I think that there's, I mean, countless new, Businesses that mm-hmm. are successful. I also, the, look, right now, there's a lot of new leadership, which I think is mm. sort of exciting, fertile time. Um, you know, Mc- McMinnville historically had uh, a very long run with uh, mayor, city manager, um, parks director, mm-hmm. city attorney, city planner, which is great for a community to have that stability. Uh, and those folks held those offices for like 25 years. Mm-hmm more maybe Um, so we have new blood in every major position at the city so right now it's a time of sort of strategic planning and there's a lot of sky's the limit kind of thinking you know when you're in a job for that long you're kind of like no i'm not even going to go down that road
2: well many of those leaders have come in from other communities too they i mean some of them are born and raised mcmimble but a lot of them come in with great ideas of yeah how things can be
0: Mm -hmm. and the culture of the community has changed too where they're community might be a little bit more open to, to, uh, let's have a, let's consider, I mean, most recently we just, the ordinance passed that we can sell alcohol at events in parks. So we can move our great summer concerts that take place in like sweltering, you know, asphalt. uh, We can put them under the trees and you know, with a permit you can see live music. So I think there's, you know, priorities on cycling and um, how businesses are zoned and a lot of exciting stuff happening right now that we'll see, again, when we look back at this video, all of those things that we've accomplished.
1: Um, so that leadership is exciting, new leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have a vision of what McMinnville looks like in, say, 2030 or 2035? Um, again, lots of restaurants that are really
0: good. Um, I have this—my personal dream is that I want oh. the Mac Theater back so bad, so However, that's going to happen. I want the Mac Theater back. It's the heart of the town, and I'd love to see that with like live national music acts coming through and booking hotels in the middle midweek in January. Um, but I think, big picture, I think that you know we have an even larger downtown core of uh, locally owned businesses. Um, that we have transportation infrastructure that supports multimodal transportation. That's more. Impactful, um, and then people can get around easier by foot or by bike and access those things. Um, that we have a diversity in um, makers. You know what what is being produced is not a monoculture of just wine, but other things um, that go with that. So the whole cultural ethosphere. Um, I have dreams. Vehicles, yeah,
2: <laughs> hoverboards. hoverboards, bringing it back, guys. <laughs> My dream is that. Third Street becomes a pedestrian-only street, like Pearl Street in Boulder, um, and that our downtown core is a vibrant mix of businesses and affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So um, I see that as a potential future for our town that makes me really excited.
1: Mm-hmm. A
0: system of great trails.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. There's nothing but possibility, honestly. I mean, this community has people who show up and care. Mm -hmm. And with a group of like-minded citizens like that, anything is possible. And that's really an exciting place to be. And it's an exciting time for me personally to feel like I am having a hand in creating whatever that potential amazing future is. And I think as long as those people who show up and care do so out of possibility and not fear, Um, it's going to be an amazing place in McMinnville. And a lot of that is going to be thanks and due to the wine industry. And a lot of it is going to be thanks and due to things that we can't even imagine yet. And that's really cool.
1: What about the next decade for your organization? What do you hope to see out of this McMinnville?
0: Um, Well, we will grow uh, both staff wise. You're looking at the two founders here. So, um, you know, as we grow, we're focused on, um, Increasing our marketing, clearly, um, but a large untapped resource for us is group sales. So bringing a t- sales team that would attract conferences, sporting events, types of things like that to our community, that running alongside of some having some assets to fill <laughs> that are larger spaces. So if we could have a conference center, or a music venue or a sports complex that we could use to sell and bring more folks. So we'll be growing those channels, uh, especially focused on the winter months, mm-hmm. diversifying year round things to do, um, and growing our team. So I mean, I could see us having, bringing a lot of that in house. We currently mm-hmm. contract a lot of PR, design, you mm-hmm. know, and basically becoming a full, fully housed creative agency. Mm-hmm with our own team in 10 years, I think is a easy goal to achieve.
2: Mm -hmm. I can see that.
0: And then on top of that, our effect is that, hey, everyone's money is raining from the sky. (laughs) People are bathing in money.
2: Mm -hmm. Scrooge Um, McDuck style. Yeah.
0: Children are fed. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I don't know. Hopefully also, I think that there's an, I think the, the wine industry brings people Certain type of person to your community that has certain interests and needs, and I think those things generally are good. You know, you know, for me, my values: art, culture, food, wine, community. You know, for forward thinking, um, wine is like that fire. You know, it's like the campfire. Everyone likes to get around it and mm-hmm. share stories, and it's this. It's a magnet. Um, and I think that magnet's effect will be greater, and it, it'll just ripple through the community as far as you know better access to better things. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, helping flow into education in the community and upleveling um, those things indirectly. <clears throat> um, I have a really big vision of utopia.
1: <laughs>
2: as far as education goes, I think that's going to be a game changer. With Linfield and the wine industry with the recent Evanstad um, investment. I think that's gonna change the way McMinnville is seen as a hub of not just this is where wineries are and supporting industries, but also this is where people go to learn about wine and the wine business. And so it's, um, I think that's gonna have some pretty major effects that we can't even see. Shimekida um, has a hospitality and tourism program that they've started up in the past few years, and um, that's going to turn out more people for our industry and for the wine industry as well. So, yeah, it's exciting.
0: It is. They're both great
1: bookends serving mm-hmm. that community. Talk a little bit about Linfield since you brought it up. What is Linfield's role to you as visiting Linfield? Do you sell the art, culture, music that Linfield brings?
2: Oh, absolutely. Not only that, but, I mean, arts and culture for sure, but also that we have um, people coming into town now to see sporting events and um, be a part of, like, this wine uh, center that's gonna be coming open. it's really exciting. I mean, attracting positions like Dr. Jones, Dr. Greg Jones uh, to Linfield. Score. Major score. Um, that's really exciting. That affects us. That affects uh, the world's perception of McMinnville as a hub for wine. It's great. And Linfield is right at the heart of all of that. Yeah. I think if there's one thing that Dr. Helly has done, and, and he's retiring now, but, is that he has set up Linfield for success to support a local industry. Um, And as we see investment in small, private liberal arts colleges um, go down, having a niche like that is gonna be so important for Linfield and for our community and for this industry that is growing. It's really great.
0: Yes, the industry itself needs educated people Mm -hmm. on all levels so agreed it's a win linfield's a huge asset to the community and to tourism and mm-hmm. to education it's a lot of buckets that we're soup and just that again the culture of having a higher education an institute for higher education in your community mm-hmm. is, as a citizen is a is a big impact you know when you have those types of people that you're interacting with having conversations with over beers at the bitter monk or you're at the grocery store or you know, being certain, it's it just it goes out into all different branches, and it's a win. We it, it, it's one of our largest assets as a community.
2: I can't tell you how many random conversations I've had at community Plate or bitter monk, where I sit down and I start talking to somebody about some really interesting subject. <laughs> they open my eyes, and lo and behold, they're a Linfield professor. So. <laughs> It's great. We need more people like that.
0: Just waiting around to give ideas. That's
2: right. Isn't that what professors do? Yeah. Yeah. Strategically placed. A, yeah. Deploy, don't deploy. Make eye yeah. Another idea.
1: <laughs> well, this is great. That's all the questions I had for you guys. Is there anything I should have asked? Anything else you'd like to mention at the end here? I like your shirt. <laughs> Thank you. One of my favorites.
0: Yeah. Strong shirt. I don't.
1: Have anything?
2: Show up and care. Show up and care. Let's keep doing that.
0: And it's also documented that Kitri and I um, are friendly. So hopefully, in the future, when we look at this, and we, we're still friendly to each other.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we're not like wizened <laughs> gnarly yeah, that old No, oh, yeah
1: tape down the middle of the office. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. <laughs> He's on my side.
1: That's yeah. <laughs> the future of a referee
0: <laughs>
2: office. Your ref. tax dollars hard at work. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. We get
1: it done. We just don't get it done well together. <laughs> well, thank, thank, you. Okay, thank you both so much. This is awesome. Thank yeah. you for being asked. Awesome. Or for,
2: and thank yes. you for technical support.
1: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast.